0: Kia this programme is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio, get your voice heard.
1: No hi AA on Air. Um welcome everyone to the Alcoholics Anonymous Meeting on Air. My name is Victoria. I'm an alcoholic and your chairperson for today. Hi Victoria. Hi, Victoria. <laughs> hi, Victoria. <laughs> um, we open AA meetings with the serenity prayer and I invite you to join me. God, God. grant me God. the serenity, the serenity. To, to, accept to accept the things the I cannot change, change. courage to, to change, change the, the things, things I can. can. And and wisdom wisdom to to know the difference. Excellent. So it's a beautiful rainy day in Wellington, um, and today we have the Bulls and Bears meeting in the studio, Um, so it's great for, so thank you everyone for joining me. Um, We'll start the meeting off with the AA preamble, uh, which goes as such. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes – our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. All right, um, and I will now ask Joe to read the uh, How It Works. Kia ora. thanks Victoria. I'm Jo, I'm an alcoholic. Kia ora Jo. Thanks. And this is
2: How It Works from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. 8 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, What an order! I can't go through with it! Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A. That we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C.
1: That God could and would if he was sought. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Um, and now I'll ask Peter to kick off the sharing for today.
3: Um, good morning. My name's Peter, and I'm an alcoholic. Good Hi, Peter. Um, sorry. <laughs> yep. Um, what, what happened? Oh, sorry, let me start again. Um, what, one of the traditions that we have is to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, and so if I go back and reflect on before I started drinking, I never felt that comfortable um, in the world. Uh, always felt a little bit different. Um, and um, and I didn't really quite know why that was, but that's basically yeah, how things were. Um, and then at about 15, I um, got drunk for the first time, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Um, I had a release and a freedom that I'd never experienced in my life. Um, and um, and I spent the next 15 years chasing that same experience and never quite achieving it. Um, I drank like I, I thought I drank, like most of the kids and young people around me. Um, but the reality was that I actually sought out the people who drank the way I drank so that I didn't feel uncomfortable. Um, I um, you know, When I was at school, I was probably drinking... Once or twice a week and then towards the end of my school life I was probably drinking uh, two to three times a week Um, and I don't think that was particularly unusual. It never ever crossed my mind that uh, there was only a small group of us at school that were drinking in that way. Um, I um, came down to Wellington to study and to to work um, and thought that was going to be the beginning for me or, or that was going to be the beginning for me of a new start and um, getting over all of the problems that I'd had at school because of my drinking um, but basically I just did a great big repeat act and um, and in fact the I had um, um, I had a good amount of money um, and I had a lot of freedom and I spent all of that freedom and all of that money um, basically getting as pissed as I could um, when I um was about I oh, don't know 20, I think, 20 or 21, I decided that the answer to my problems was to get married. And um, so I popped the question, did that, um, and that was actually a magical solution for me because um, I went from having the money that I had to having all the money that my wife had, um, and so that accelerated my access to funds to be able to accelerate my drinking. at this stage, I'd, again, I didn't really think that my drinking was that particularly unusual. I just thought that I was you know, one of those people that enjoyed going to the pub, um, and, and I did that pretty well every day. Um, I, um, I think that my wife probably would tell a different story um, in that she came from a very sane and sensible family um, and people peeing the bed, um, vomiting in the bed, um, urinating in the wardrobe... Um, not being able to remember a damn thing of what happened the night before um, weren't common day occurrences in her family um and she was a bit appalled at what she'd married um, however, yeah, so we, we at a very early stage in our marriage, we started the process of um how can I change perhaps i'm just a thirsty kid um etc et etc, cetera, et etc cetera, et cetera. and so we tried yeah you know, millions of schemes we would try drinking huge amounts of water before we went out to parties. Because that probably was the problem. I was just thirsty. Um, of course, that didn't work at all. Um, <laughs> and um, and anyway, so it got to the stage where the the joint effort in trying to fix my my drinking became um, a solitary effort, and I could do it on my own, and I didn't need the help of my wife. Um, and and the more I um, and and basically, we just started to drift apart. Um, and and towards the end of my drinking. I had got to the stage where I had a, a couple of you know, beautiful kids, um, and to the outside world, I had everything that was on on offer. Um, but all I wanted to do was to run away and live in a one-bedroom flat on my own and um, drink without being judged and drink with absolute freedom. I'm not quite sure how I thought I was going to afford all of that, but um, but that was basically you know, the where my where my drinking had got taken me. Um, I had an uncle that came to stay. Um, and he lined me up, and I used to think he was a pretty smart dude um and he absolutely ripped into me and told me you know that I was um, you know, a bit of a you know, his version of what he thought I was um and I thought he was a cheeky bastard that um yeah, he was a guest in my home, and he was giving me a lecture on my drinking, and I was really you know pretty angry and offended um about six months later he and he he upset me and he upset my drinking um because he was the first person that had really Held a mirror to my to to me and and um, asked me to actually own what my drink where my drinking had gone, um, so um, I didn't do anything. But about six months later, I actually reached a crisis where my ability to juggle work and family and finances, all of which were in absolute chaos, basically became pretty intolerable. Um, and I didn't really mean to stop drinking, but I said to my wife in a moment of weakness, "I think I might have a problem with my drinking." Of course, that was totally unexpected from um, her, you know, um, no, I'm only joking, she was, uh, she'd was, she been waiting for me to say those very words and then um, I was shunted off to councillors and to other people. Um, and, and once I'd made the admission, I wished I could take it back because I didn't really want to go down that route, um, but the next thing I knew I was in to see councillors and, and, um, and I met a councillor who basically had my number and he was one of the first people that I absolutely strongly related to and and what I discovered in that process was that alcoholics can help other alcoholics in a way that perhaps no others can and um and he basically um you know, had me in tears, and I you know realized that I'd been trying to fight um something that um yeah that was I didn't realize that I had this problem with alcohol I just um I just thought that I was troubled in some way or another. Anyway, cutting a long story short, I went down to Hamna, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, Didn't really make the impact that it made on other people because I was defiant and I was determined that I was going to do it my way. And um, so I came back two years after being in Hamna. I really reached my rock bottom in that um, I'd been trying to manage the process um, but doing it my way rather than using the um, AA-12 Steps. Um, so after about two or three years, I got stuck and started working the steps, and that was really the beginning of a total change in my life. Um, and um, the yeah, and I've now been sober about 42 years, um, and um, and it hasn't all been smooth sailing. I've had ups and downs. Um, yeah, you know, I have a an inclination towards addictions of all sorts of natures and descriptions, um, and I had to be I have to be careful about substitute addictions. Um the um, and some of them are subtle,, you know, like work., um, you know, it was very easy for me to lose myself in work and study um, in sobriety. Um, yeah, but where I'm at now is that I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have had, you know forty two years now when um, my life is unrecognizable from the life that I thought I was going to have. I couldn't have dreamed. I, I thought life was all about material possessions. And what I've realised in sobriety, that, um, that life is actually about um, family, friends and a, and a spiritual journey. And, and the spiritual journey initially used to trouble me because I didn't really want to be associated with God or churches or spiritual things. Um, and what I've realised is that um, you know, a friend of mine describes spirituality as, um, as that aspiration towards being kind, generous, honest and humble. And, um, and I wasn't too bad with the first two, um, but the honesty and the humility were the two that I've um, had a lifelong journey um, in terms of exploring and better understanding. But, um, but for me, that's been the gift of sobriety is, is the opportunity to learn more about honesty and to learn more about humility. I'm a work in progress. Um, I might get there soon. Um, perhaps not. Perhaps I'll just keep working. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Peter. Um, You're listening to Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM, uh, and this is the uh, Wellington AA on air meeting. Um, If you or someone you know can relate to the sharing and you're wanting to get in touch, you can go to the website, alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. There you can find the 0800 number, which has a sober alcoholic on the other end of the line, um, 24-7. So now I'll ask Joe to share
2: thanks, Victoria. My name's Jo. I'm an alcoholic. Hi Joe. Jo. Um, and my experience, strength and hope is that I don't think my drinking was quite the way it could have been when I really first started roaring into drinking because I had a, there was a family history of alcoholism, and so right from the you know, sort of those teenage years when everyone seems to be drinking, I was aware that that it might be a problem already. And so I was already from the very start trying to sort of control it often, which didn't work. Um, And I didn't really need to control it when I first started drinking as a teenager because I was surrounded by other people who were kind of drinking the same way as me. What was different though was that the way I would behave and the things that would happen to me didn't seem to happen to the other people that were drinking around me. And they didn't seem to drink as much as I did. Quite as much. I had an incredible capacity for alcohol. I am. Um, I held a record actually as a teenager um, amongst a fairly large like circle community of, of friends across a couple of different high schools. I held the record for being able to drink the most through a bong, um, a, you know, a beer bong, um, and I was very proud of that as a as a teenager. What I know now is that the reason I drank more is because it did, it did something different for me. I have, I have a genetic um, pattern. I have a particular kind of DNA that means that alcohol affects me in, in, in other ways. And I didn't know this when I was drinking, but what that genetic or, or DNA pattern means is that the effect that it has on, on alcoholics is far more euphoric. Than it is for for other people. Other people are still affected by it, um, but it's not quite quite uh, as strong. And um, and it really did. It was amazing. You know, I was I wouldn't say I was a particularly disturbed young person, but I wasn't particularly well adjusted either. I was very. I was very anxious. I um I did a good job of hiding it and putting on a good front, but I didn't I didn't feel good on the inside. I didn't I didn't have a happy, healthy relationship with myself, and drinking buried all that. Drinking, you know, made me feel like wow, super popular and heaps of fun, and you know, and I kind of was. I I I did one of two things. I either became the life of the party, and I was good fun to be around in the first few hours of drinking before things got out of hand. Or I became incredibly depressed. Um, And whichever way it went, the the end result was was not that great. And I started blacking out when I was very young. When I was about 15, I first started having blackouts. And that was disturbing. You know, I got myself into all sorts of pretty unsafe situations. But at a certain point, and that continued after I left home. I left home when I was 18 and went overseas and I just kept on doing the same things. But at a certain point, I think when I was, I think really when I was in my early 20s, people around me weren't doing the same things as I was anymore. And I did another geographical, I I moved, I moved countries again. um, And, and that was when things really started to become, I moved countries again, and I started doing more drugs, actually. So that's a part of my story. I can't, I can't separate that completely. This is Alcoholics Anonymous, but but this is my story, you know. I start and I started doing more drugs. And what I started doing also was because I'd always had this battle where I was trying to control my drinking because I knew I had this family history of alcoholism, was that I would sort of switch between the two and I would control my drinking by smoking loads of dope instead. And and I and I could stay kind of away from alcohol for for, you know, periods of months, say, if I was indulging in other other substances but then i would always work my way back um long story short at the age of 26 i was just very 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 lonely and suicidal um i'd done i i had i had no community left anymore because i kept on moving from place to place because i kept on getting myself in trouble um and i wasn't i kept on moving because i was no longer welcome anymore in the places that i was that i was staying or working Um, And I kept on moving from place to place. And age 26, I was still overseas at this time, and I was just, yeah, suicide. Like I I was having kind of a psychotic episode, I suppose, Um, and I was terribly lonely and I wanted to die, but I didn't really want to die because, well, I didn't. I I still loved my family, really. That was it. Um, And so I... I had a moment of clarity, you know. I had this family history of alcoholism. I also had this family history of, like, recovery from alcoholism. I knew AA worked, and in the depths of despair one night, this little light came on in my head, and it just said, you know. I'd always known there was a problem, but I had buried the knowledge, the self-knowledge, that I probably was an alcoholic very very well and very early. And I didn't want that to be my problem. But I guess in this night of despair, the light cracked through and I knew that that, that that was it. And I and from that moment on, I had a lot of hope because I knew what to do, where to go. I knew it worked. I desperately needed community when, it, you know, after after that rock bottom. And for me, in the early days, that was the most important thing for me in aa it was the community it was the fellowship it was the meetings it was other people because sober or or drunk at that stage i wasn't comfortable around other people and especially not when sober and so having being in a room full of other people was so difficult for me and i hated the early the beginnings of meetings and the ends of meetings when, you know, the meeting wasn't in progress. So you were just sitting around being normal people with each other. I found it really, really awkward and difficult. So I would arrive late and leave early so that I didn't have to interact with other people. But gradually I became better at doing that as I got to know more people. And it really cured, you know, coming to AI really cured the, the loneliness, I think, in the early days. And then once that barrier was kind of crossed, then I also started to heal myself as well and my relationship with myself and started to find um, find a, a higher power, find a connection, find a, a sort of serenity within. And that didn't last very long or very often in the early days, but gradually it has it's built up and it's become more and more the normal way I live my life these days. And I... So, I say the meetings were really important. What was really, really important also for me in the early days was having a home group, a group of people that I was seeing every week, you know, I say kind of religiously, and it was you know I was so committed to that home group. I was there every week, I did service, I wasn't very good at it, but that doesn't matter. I kept on showing up, I kept on doing it. I got a sponsor, um and I did the steps, you know I did all the It took me a while. I didn't do it all at first and I did relapse after nine months because I was kind of skirting on the edges of AA. But when I came back in and I was really desperate and I was really ready, I did all the suggestions and I, you know, I can't, and I've continued to do service throughout my sobriety and I can't speak highly enough of it because it really, it's not just that it keeps you focused and centred in the in this practical solution, in this way of living, but it's also because that is what builds a fellowship up around you. That for me, that was a, a massive cure for loneliness. Um, was was having service positions that would keep me connected to other people. Um, so yeah, I love AA today. I I don't do it as much as I did in the early days. You know, my life is very very different, um, but I I practice the program on a daily basis, and and that to me is. I won't say more important, but it is as important as, as the meetings were to me um, when I first came in. So it's really great to be here. Thank you. Um, and thank you to all the others who have joined us here today.
1: Thanks, Thanks Jo. Uh, Beryl, would you like to share?
4: Thank you. I'm Beryl. I'm an alcoholic.
1: Okay. And Good a <laughs> What I love about
4: <laughs> AA and what I've just loved about two speakers is that we all... we we all suffer from the same disease and we come to aa by different journeys but we've all got here and we all do the 12 steps and we get well you know i mean it sounds simple doesn't it but the hardest bit is putting down that drink you know if someone said all you have to do is put down the drink and you will be fine it doesn't work like that for well it didn't work like that for me i could put down the drink but i wasn't fine I would, I could stop drinking say for three months and then I would be back into it because I had nothing to help me stay stopped. And I um, I had, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I always remember looking at my dad and saying, I'm never ever gonna be like you. I picked up a drink at fifteen, and I didn't. I don't know. I don't can't remember if I actually got drunk, but I remember I felt different. And then I became a binge drinker, and my binges could be long, or they could be short. But what it did was, every time I drank, I changed. It did something to me, and once I started drinking, I could not stop. I pick up a drink, and I drank three drinks to everybody else's one drink. And I heard that once. I heard a normal drinker drinks three drinks and feels out of control. Somebody who's got a drinking problem drinks three drinks and feels in control. And that was me, you know. And I couldn't – sometimes I could drink and not get drunk, But if I picked up a drink, I didn't know what was going to happen, and you sure as hell didn't know what was going to happen. It could be messy, or it could be fun. (laughs) Mostly it was messy. The longer I was drinking, the messier it got. And what happened was um, I I was living overseas, and I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, but... I didn't think that was for me when I went to a meeting and heard all these different people sharing. And when I came back to New Zealand, I was married with two little girls, and my husband then left me, which, uh, looking back, I can understand it, but not at the time, I couldn't understand it. But what that gave me was a freedom to drink, and I did. You know, my binges were much closer and I got into trouble and I did some really stupid things and I ended up in um, a psychiatric hospital under the auspices of a nervous breakdown, but really it was to dry out and from there, that's really when my journey started. I, um, I left that hospital. And I went on this trip with a friend. And you're wondering what's happening to the little girls in this meantime. Well, they got palmed out to their grandparents. But what happened for me was that I came to in a bus depot with all these bus drivers. And I had this epiphany, I suppose. It was, um, this is not normal drinking. This is not a normal way to live. And when I came back from that trip, I went to see a counsellor, and the counsellor sent me to Kenaprew Hospital to um, a nurse. I've, her name's left me at the moment, but she was a drug and alcohol nurse, and I had to fill out these forms, all these questions, and the questions, I didn't answer them all truthfully, but. She came to me and said, you are a chronic alcoholic. And I um, I suppose it sunk in. I'm not quite sure if it really did sink in because instead of going to AA, I went to adult children of alcoholics because it was my parents' fault that I drank. You know, growing up in an alcoholic home is not the most stable of environments and Anyway, I would turn up to um, adult children of alcoholics, and the Roy Johnson who was running it said to me one day, <clears throat> "Be a really good idea if you didn't come here pissed." <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, "How novel is that?" Hmm. Anyway, from there, the ho- the whole journey. I mean, it was a long journey. It was a long journey. I ended up in Hamna. Which, is down, which, was a, um, which was also a psychiatric hospital, but for, for drug addicts and alcoholics and, and old people who'd come back from the Second World War. Anyway, that's by the by. I, um, I was educated into what alcoholism was, and my recovery started when I came back and started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and got a sponsor. This all sounds quite weird, doesn't it? But this is how it works: get a sponsor, read the big book, go through the twelve steps, and absorb them. You know, deal with it, absorb it. And now, I mean, I've been I've been here for quite a few years now, and yes, life has definitely changed. Life is still life; things still happened, not good things and bad things but fantastic things as well and i looking back it just seems so insane to do all the things that you know that i did but the the thing that was happening with me was that when i was growing up and other people will relate to this when you're in an alcoholic home you i was full of fear all the time and anxiety. And what alcohol did, it took the fear and it took the anxiety away. But in doing that, I had to drink more because all the things that I did and then coming to the next day, remembering some of it, remembering, maybe not remembering some of it, I had to drink more on top of that to push all those feelings down. So they just all mounted up. And, and that was continuous, you know, was continuous in all the, in all the drinking bouts. In the book, it tells me, me that I have um, an allergy to alcohol and an obsession of the mind, and one sets the other one off. And as Peter said before, it's not only with alcohol, I mean, I can be addicted to anything anything <laughs> and it's the same thing you know this allergy gets set off it's like um wanting more and this is a disease of more so more of everything yeah yeah anyway yes I am so grateful I'm an AA and I'm and I'm so grateful that I was introduced to this and the people that I've met they're all insane, but they're fantastic. <laughs> so
1: it's uh yeah. So thank you. Thanks, Beryl. Thanks, Beryl. Um, just a reminder: you're listening to Wellington Access Radio on one hundred six point one FM. Um, and this is the Wellington uh, AA meeting on air. If you are wanting to get in touch with AA in New Zealand, you can go to www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz dot org. dot nz. Well, there's the 0800 number, 0800-AA-WORKS. 0800 if you're listening overseas, uh, Google is your friend. There's um, Alcoholics Anonymous in most countries, so just look it up. Um, and now I'll ask Christine to share. Thank you. I'm Christine.
0: I'm an alcoholic. Go
1: to Christine. Hi, Christine.
0: Um, thank you for your this, the, the previous speakers. It's all... It's also, different for, to my sort of story. Um, I grew up in a non alcoholic home and I was adopted. And I think I used to think that that made me different, that I was a different person. Um, I always wanted friends, and I'd have two or three good friends, and then I'd sort of float off and there'd be somebody else, and yeah. People were out there, and I just didn't sort of join in. Anyway, I can remember going to a, a varsity. We crashed a friend and I crashed a varsity party, and we'd sat in the car and drunk. We'd had six bottles of beer, and we'd we were right then, and so in we went. And it the the um, varsity. It was a house, a, a rental and opposite Varsity in Wellington and we went up the stairs to get in there and the room was completely dark and there were all these bodies all around the room all unconscious or murmuring or I thought whoa this is what Varsity people do and um, anyway I went home I was very impressed and went home and um, threw up and I was still living at home then and my Mother was astonished that I'd just been out because, of course, she didn't drink or know anything about drinking, didn't want to know. It was a very big no-no in our family. And um, I thought to myself, as I was being violently ill and ill for the rest of the day, I can't wait to go back again, even though I felt so terrible. And how am I going to do it that my mother doesn't know what I'm doing? So the fear was set in. I mean, I was there anyway. Um, I had older brothers and sisters who were, like, 15 years older than me. And my brother, I always thought he lived such a fabulous life and he had a restaurant and I used to run away from home and run down to his restaurant and sit on a bar stool and think I was fabulous until he had to take me home. And um, he would often, like... I had a boyfriend. Well, I'm still. He's now my husband, and he's a he's a yachty. And if anybody knows about yachties, they drink a lot. So I was in heaven again. I'd found the right chap. He drank, I drank, and it was wonderful. And anyway, they used to have a race called pub to pub, and you'd sail from Eastport into Wellington, and then run from Wellington into the pub. And down a drink and stay there for the rest of the afternoon and this was wonderful and I can remember my brother coming to find me again he must have had some sort of inkling that things weren't quite right with this little adopted sister and there I was sort of slouching on the on the wall with all these drunks and I was sort of slowly going to the floor but anyway he rescued me and took me home and my husband, who wasn't, he wasn't—he was my boyfriend. He sailed home to the yacht club and continued. So eventually, I married this wonderful man who was an, who was who drank all the time, as you do. You go on holiday and you drink and drink and drink, and it was wonderful. I was in an atmosphere where you could drink and you didn't get under into trouble. But thirty years passed, and I had a family. And um, the family grew up, and so I couldn't rely on them to get me out of trouble, you know, like, oh, don't worry about Mum, Dad, she'll be all right, she'll be all right, she'll be all right. They left, and so then I was on my own. And things got grim, and I was told, you have to buy your own drinks now. I'm not buying you wine anymore. Mm. So then it began where I had to by my own drinks, and I had to hide them. And, you know, some people say they hide them in the washing machine. Well, I couldn't do that. I thought it was a good idea, but no, what say he went in there with his yacht club, with his yachty clothes and threw it in there and all my bottles would break and that's... No, couldn't do that. So um, life got tough. I wasn't allowed to go to parties with him because I was such an embarrassment... And I began to know that I was an embarrassment, but I wasn't an alcoholic. I just had, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was just something was wrong. And in the end, I this was the next 10 years, I came to the conclusion that it was all his fault. And so I went to a lawyer and said, oh, I I really needed a divorce. And she said to me, she looked at me, It was... 10 past nine in the morning, I wouldn't have been looking a good shot. And she said, you need to go home and get strong. So I went home sat on the stairs and thought, shit, I really, I've got to do something. I looked at the house and there was a half decorated Christmas tree. I thought I can't do the rest of that. My birthday was in a week's time. and I thought I'll never make my birthday. And nobody will come, they'll all run away. Nobody likes me, poor me. And then it'll be Christmas Day and New Year's Eve now. How will I get through all that fabulous drinking mm-hmm. and come out alive at the other end with, um, you know, with my head held high? It just wasn't going to work. So I had to ring up the rehab in Auckland and said can I come and they said sure and answered some questions what I which I got hundred percent you know do you drink yes how many a day yes 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 so I got on the plane two days later and flew to Auckland and when I got to the rehab, they collected me at the airport and they took me into the rehab and asked me a whole lot of questions and then they said, go to the toilet. Well, that was okay, but the person came in with me. Now, you know, hello, why would they do that? Well, of course, we all know why they did that, but of course, me being blissfully ignorant and I'm not an alcoholic, I had no idea. Anyway, so I went back for more questioning and then they said, your bedroom's over here, blah, blah got in there, and they unpacked my bag. Well, I was thrilled, and not until later did I realise unpacked my bag because they were looking for bottles, and I had no idea. Honestly, I had no idea. It's, you know, like blind, blind. Oh, and I, the other thing, oh, I think I said that about the blackouts, the blackouts happened from day one. And I never knew what I'd done the night before. That's why people didn't talk to me. But I didn't realise that until, you know, after I'd been to rehab, after it had all been explained to me. um, And then they, you sat in the meetings, you had to go to the meetings every day, eight o'clock, turn up, even if you turn up in your pyjamas, that's all right, but get there. Otherwise you get locked out. So I turned up and best thing I ever did, um, you know, they fed you and told you you're allowed to do this, that, and the other thing. And um, then I went to leave after a month and they said to me, um, you have to go home now and you have to do, to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I just stared blankly at them and said, I don't understand you. And they said, you have to go to a meeting every day for 90 days. And I said, is this day 31? And they said, no, (laughs) this today is day one. (laughs) Right. Okay, that was a newsflash. And so then I I had to go to meetings. And lucky break, my um, roommate was... She came from upper, She came from the hut, and we went together. I managed to do my ninety meetings in ninety days. I managed to find a sponsor, a home group, and it was the best thing I ever did, is to find this spiritual program. So thank you.
4: Thanks, Christine.
1: Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Christine. Um, so this has been the Wellington Access Radio AA meeting on air. Um, we broadcast on 106.1 FM. Um, if you can relate to the sharing and you want to get in contact in New Zealand, um, you can go to the website www.alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz or call 0800 AA Works where there will be a sober alcoholic on the other end of the line uh, 24-7. So thank you to, yeah, thank you to everyone um, who's joined us in the studio today and thank you for your sharing. Um, If you are wanting to attend Bulls and Bears meeting in Wellington, it's Monday night at, oh, it's online at the moment. Awesome. So yeah, just a reminder, at the moment, if you're wanting to go to a meeting, please go to the meetings list online to check whether it's in person or not. Awesome. Um, So this meeting also closes with the serenity prayer, and I invite you to join me. God, grant me the serenity to to accept accept the the things things I cannot change, change, courage to change change the things I can, and and wisdom wisdom to know the difference.
0: That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand On Air, for funding accessmedia.nz.